Well, good morning, my friends. I'm recording this for Tuesday, March 30th. It is late on a Sunday night, and uh, I couldn't sleep. Got up and began to study and to take a look at a couple of things here in Matthew 26 as we close in on the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and close in on Easter, on his resurrection. We're in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to try to cover verses uh, 17 through um, 17 through 29, and we'll cover two different things here. We're going to cover um, what Wearsby calls the announcement of the betrayer. Up until this time, um, no one had a clue uh, about Judas. They saw him as a disciple. They saw him as a servant of Christ. They saw him as a brother in the Lord. Um, and Jesus had treated him in such a way that no one would have known that he was the betrayer. Uh, I've always said that I don't, I don't struggle so much with the divinity, divinity of Christ. His divinity is obvious. His holiness, his righteousness, all of that. What I've struggled the most with, I think, in my life is how well he did humanity. How he treated people. How he cared for people how even those that came against him uh, could not find fault with him, how he lived uh, this amazing life in the center of uh, Jerusalem, the, the center of Judaism, the place of Roman um, paganism, uh, Roman rule and and religious rule by the religious leaders and... and um, the zealots, and so much was going on. And into this uh, comes at the perfect time, Galatians 4, for the Son of God. He's born of a, of a virgin, and he comes at the perfect time, and he lives a sinless life. And and uh, I'm just amazed by that. I'm amazed that right after his baptism, he's taken into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and he's tempted after 40 days of fasting, the devil comes to him and tries to, to get him to take a shortcut, um, and he refuses to do so, and he uses the word of God. I'm amazed by these uh, from Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, how Jesus responds to the enemy. I'm amazed by how he has responded to those that hated him and those that wanted him dead, those that should have been looking for him and recognized him but uh, they were selfish and they wanted everything for themselves. So here we are as we're closing in on the last days of Jesus' life. And we're in Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. It says, now on the first day of unleavened bread, we're in the Passover now. The Passover is the greatest feast for the Jews. It, it symbolizes the um, death angel passing over them and only... Um, only those that did not have the blood attached to the lentil of their house, the doorpost of their house, uh, their firstborn was killed. So they've celebrated the Passover for, for the, at this point, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And uh, this was not an easy thing to prepare for. But Jesus says to his disciples, um, uh, where will we have to, uh, his disciples say to him, where will we, you have us prepare us to eat the Passover? And Jesus says to them in verse 18, he answers their question because they know what it is. They're, they're Jews. They're born and raised. They, they understand it's the Passover and they understand that Jesus has been looking over, looking forward to this time of having Passover with them. 
And so he tells him this, verse 18, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with his disciples. Luke, um, in Luke 22, verses 8 through 10, uh, through 10 describes this uh, just a little bit more in detail. He says, look for a, look for a man with a, carrying a water pot. But why would that be so unusual? They had to carry water from the wells because that was the women's job. Remember in John chapter four, when Jesus meets the woman at the well, what was she doing? Getting water for her family. So this was the woman's job to do. So um, he describes it a little differently. And the disciples uh, did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. They would have had to go out to find a perfect lamb. They would have had to gone out to to get bitter herbs. They would have had to go, uh, gone out to get the unleavened bread. All of this to prepare for this Passover, which would be the last that Jesus would celebrate this side of his resurrection. Verse 20, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12. Now, remember in those days, there's... They reclined against each other. They leaned against each other. That's why it was so important for them to have their feet washed. They'd been walking dusty trails. They'd been walking trails. Remember, there were animals everywhere, so their feet were filthy. Uh, and Jesus would have taken care of that. Remember when he washed their feet and he symbolized this beautiful beautiful form of service, but it would have been uh, imperative to have servants on hand to wash their feet. And he reclines with his disciples. They were close to one another. And in this intimacy, in this closeness, verse 21, he says, and as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Can you imagine getting indigestion just at that very moment? They're taking the Passover. They're preparing um, themselves. They're spending time with the man that they love, with the people that they love, surrounding the table with no inclination that there was one who would betray um, and Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Now look at the responses here in verse 22. And they were very sorrowful. Obviously, put yourself in the story. You would be too to find out that you've traveled for all these years with Jesus and all of these men. And you find out that one of them at the table is a betrayer. Now that was not unusual in that day. There were people who would betray people to the Romans, there were people who would betray people uh, for whatever reason to gain access, to gain influence. But within this group, this tight-knit group that ate together, that slept together, that spent all their time together, this would have been an absolute unbelievable announcement. Because again, Jesus never treated Judas any differently than he treated the other disciples. They're sorrowful. And then look at their response. Look at the humility. And they began to say to him one after the other, now look at how their response, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Verse 23, he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Now, the person to your left and to your right at the dinner are incredibly important in that situation. It was a position of, of, uh, of honor on the left, a position of great friendship on the right, and the position on the left would have been Judas. Look at, uh, let's look at Psalm 41 here for just a moment. Psalm 41, verse 9. As this... Uh, as this is happening, as this betrayal takes place, um, there's this beautiful picture back to the Old Testament 
beautiful in the sense that Jesus knew exactly, exactly how to how to frame the moment or how to get their attention. He goes back to the Psalm of David in Psalm 41, verse 9. Psalm 41, verse 9, and it says this, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. We see this picture of David being betrayed by his friend. We see this picture of Jesus being betrayed by his friend. He thought of Judas as a disciple and as a friend. It is a, it's an amazing picture here because it leads into verse 24. And he says, the son of man, now remember that's from Daniel chapter seven. It was one of the, 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 um, the ways that Jesus was famous to describe himself, the son of man. And you'll look up uh, Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 and 14 on your own time and look at, at what son of man means. Um, as it is written, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man had he not been born. Now you see the divine and the human mixed in this. You see the scripture and the prophecy of scripture and the fulfillment of scripture in the fact that there would be someone who would betray, but you also see the humanity in that Judas had a choice. Some would say he didn't. Uh, I believe that he did. And I believe here's the choice. I believe it was the response here. This was Jesus giving Judas every opportunity. And look at verse 25. Judas, who had betrayed him, answered, it is, is it I, Rabbi? Remember in the verses before, in verse 22, they all went and said, is it I, Lord? But what is Judas' response? Matthew records it as, is it I, Rabbi? Is it I, teacher? It was a high respect when he said rabbi, but it wasn't to say Lord. Judas hadn't entered into the relationship like these others had. And Jesus, um, Jesus says to him, you have said so. You have said so. Out of your own lips, out of your own response, you have said so. John says that at that very moment in, uh, in, in the book of John that Satan entered into him and he went about the business. Remember in just a few verses before, um, he had made a deal to betray him for 30 pieces of silver, quietly made this deal when, he, when Jesus did not fulfill um, the, what, what, what Judas was looking for. He was looking for a Messiah. He was looking for a powerful leader. He was looking for the one who would sit on the throne of David and release them from Roman bondage. And Judas hoped to be the secretary in that situation and the treasurer, the secretary treasurer, and to, to, to have, hold a high position and to, to hold on to the money and to be able to do as he wanted. As we know in John, he would take from the bag, John says, as whenever he wanted. So they did have some suspicion that Judas might have been a thief, but never did they have a suspicion that he would be a betrayer. And then we go from that story, we go from that Passover meal, we immediately transfer into where Jesus begins to institute the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread 
And after blessing, he, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks. Uh, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Some powerful things are happening here. Jesus is having his final meal with them, and then he begins to institute the Lord's Supper. By means of this, this is now in my ESV study Bible, by means of this, this symbolic and symbolism of eating and drinking, Jesus teaches his disciples something they will understand only after the resurrection. And what would that be? The most basic meaning of the Lord's Supper is this. It's the union with him in his death and resurrection. Even as the disciples consumed the bread and the wine, so in the Lord's Supper, you and I as believers feed spiritually on Christ. And in Jesus speaking about the blood, he hearkens back to um, Exodus chapter 24 and verse 8. Let's go there. Exodus chapter 24. Remember, Exodus means the the leaving or the exiting. They were leaving um, from their bondage. Exodus chapter 24 um, and verse 8. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 8. And Moses took the blood, threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all his words. You know, there's been an attempt in, in, the, in, in years past to remove all of the blood from the scripture all of the uh, representation, all of the mention of it to clean it up. And yet it's impossible to do that. Let's look at the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter one and verse three. Speaking of Jesus, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his hand. After making purifications for sin, sins, not just sins, sins, because he had none. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. And what was the cost? What was the price for the purification? Just what we saw in Exodus. Now flip over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Remember, Moses took part of the blood and sprinkled it on the people. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus, in this opportunity with them, um, shows them again that what the cost was that was about to be paid by him was his blood, his own Beautiful, magnificent blood would be shed for the sins of each and every one. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Next time we gather at the Lord's table, let's understand the significance of it. It's not just a few moments in a service where we have a wafer and drink a little juice, but we spiritually um, symbolize our union and our recognition with Jesus in his 
death. And in this portion of scripture, he says, I will not do this again until I do this with you in my father's kingdom. He looks past the death, past his resurrection to a time when he will come again. So Jesus, full of all of his knowledge of what was about to protect and the horror that was to be uh, was to come his way in just a few days would look past that to a time where he would be resurrected and the time that he would also come again. He's coming again. And because of that, the Bible tells us to encourage one another with these words. But until he does, until he does, we need to make sure we're about his business. And before that, we need to make sure that we belong to him. And how do we do that? by accepting the sacrifice of his blood and the forgiveness of sins that only comes through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. In Numbers chapter six, verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Till we talk again.